0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Knuckle Live podcast, presented by Student Union Sports. We've got a great episode for you today, a lot of stuff to talk about, some great guests. Let's get into it. Welcome and welcome to the Not Gonna Lie podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Terry. Like I said, it's great to have you back on this, well, Sunday night for me, but uh, whenever you're listening to it, hope it's it's a good day. Hope you're I- enjoying yourself, taking in all the sports that are going on. Uh, so awesome. I am I'm legitimately excited every day because I know there's something to watch. Uh, so I hope you're feeling the same way. This week on the podcast, we've got some great interviews. We've got Seth Emerson uh, talking about his new book on Kirby Smart. And then after that, we have recurring guest, John Remington, friend of the program, uh, recapping some NBA news, some predictions, a whole lot of stuff. Don't want to miss it. So let's get into the first interview with Seth Emerson. We now welcome on a very special guest. It is writer for The Athletic and author of a new book, which you can get out now, Attack the Day, Kirby Smart and George's Return to Glory, Seth Emerson. Seth, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me on and letting me sell my book. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you can, you can find it uh, on Amazon. You can find it really wherever you get your books, Barnes and Noble. Um, really good story. Uh, I'm, I ordered it. It didn't make it in, but I ordered it. So uh, should I should have gotten I'm, you an advanced copy. Our, our PR people drop. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I I think, I think so. Something, something, that, but it's okay. Um, still got a, a lot of questions to ask you and a lot of things to go into it. Um, but first off, um, we had a guy on last week, Brandon Snead, who wrote a book on Lincoln Riley. Um, and it was, it was a unique situation because Lincoln wasn't actually, um, he didn't, he didn't like the idea of a book being written about him. He thought he was yeah. too young. Um, what were, did you have any challenges? Maybe not, uh, to that aspect, but do you have any challenges, uh, in yourself in writing that book?
1: No, I, I didn't look at this as a biography of Kirby Smart. Uh, And I have a front row seat to his press conferences back when there were press conferences. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time with him over the years. So it wasn't like, you know, I, I needed all this time to get his life story or anything like that. This I saw as more of a story about Georgia football, the last five years of Georgia football and particularly the era starting in 2015 to 2017. Those three years are a remarkable story because 2015 is chaotic on and off the field at Georgia. It's when they thought that the Mark Richt era was finally going to break through. And then they run into the Alabama buzzsaw in early October in this highly anticipated game. And then the wheels come off in the month of October. They think they're getting better, but there's all this friction off the field that, players talk about in the book um, and Mark Richt gets fired with the re- part of the reasoning to fire him was to make sure that Kirby Smart didn't get away to South Carolina and so they hire Kirby Smart and so then you get into 2016 and Kirby Smart bringing his methods his Alabama methods but also just Kirby's own imprint to it and they go eight and five they lose it home to Vanderbilt They lose at home to Georgia Tech. They get blown out by Ole Miss and and beat convincingly by Florida and lose on a Hail Mary to Tennessee. But what players told me that I thought was interesting as I talked to them years later is that that 2016 season compared to 2015 was so much more calmer. There was more consistency. and, And the things that Kirby Smart was instilling in the program were were taking effect and they bore fruit in 2017 and everyone remembers what the 2017 season was like around here um, and I tried to recreate a lot of those big moments this is not a book full of rehashed game stories this is not a book full of like a chronological listing of this game and this touchdown and this quarter and etc cetera, etc cetera. this is this This is a book of stories and, you know, not a huge factor, but I'll focus in on games that obviously are their own story. Like there's a chapter, for instance, just on the Notre Dame game in 2017, a chapter just on the SEC championship, a chapter just on the Rose Bowl, a chapter just on the national championship. Um, and, and so what I tried to have was a, a mix. You've got a mix of football and the, the players and the coaches talking about the football part of it, the, the agony and the ecstasy. We know the ecstasy for Georgia. We know the agony. Um, there, there's a lot in there about second and 26. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that Georgia fans can read that and, and learn something from it. Um, but there's a lot in there about the ecstasy and about the cool stuff. And you, you think everything has been said about those classic games. And you always find that the more people you talk to, the, the more there is to, to find out. And I, I learned a lot by writing this.
0: Yeah, and, and obviously, there has to be some difference uh, for you as a staff writer writing for The Athletic between, you know, writing, writing blogs, writing these stories, mm-hmm. and then writing a full book. Um, right. What were some, what were some major differences that you saw in between maybe your writing style or the way you compiled these stories? So if I'm writing a story
1: for The Athletic, and The Athletic is already more of a, you know, long form we're not going to write the 300, 400 word story that I wrote a lot of when I was at Dog Nation and the AJC and the Making Telegraph just to get a story up there and kind of the almost the micro journalism. Um, and there, there's nothing wrong with it. I did it. I was the lead guy to do that. But part of the reason I went to the athletic was I wanted to do longer stories. And I didn't want to have to write two or three stories a day. I wanted to write two or three good stories a week. Now we get into the season now and it's more four or five good stories a week. Um, We're going to talk to a Georgia assistant coach a little bit after I get off the phone now as as we're recording this. And I'm going to write probably 1,000, 1,500 words. That's a story. For a book, every chapter averages around 3,000 words. So the way I looked at it was, it's a big endeavor. The way I looked at it was I mapped it out and I said, here's what I want to write. Here are the subjects I wanted to tackle. And because I've lived through this, I've been the beat writer, I, I knew I had a preconceived idea of this is what we're going to attack. These are the subjects we're going to attack. And so then I went and I did the interviews. And that was the other thing is this is not a rehashing of interviews that I've already done. This is, the, you know, there there's some stuff in there that's already out there but maybe not everyone knows it. Um, but most of it is original interviews with people who, who live through my relationships with them. Um, but it, I looked at every chapter as its own long form story that I might write for The Athletic. Um, there's an entire chapter just on the 2015 season. A lot of people think a separate book could be just written it's about the 2015 season, maybe someday. But for now, this was mainly about the Kirby Smart era, and Kirby Smart was not the coach then. Um, there And like I said, there's separate chapters just about the Rose Bowl, just about Notre Dame, um, and and so on. And, and, and there's separate chapters about Kirby Smart uh, building his staff, about the recruiting. You know, we, we see them killing it on the recruiting trail, but what goes into that? Shane Beamer and Rusty Manziel, a uh, longtime recruiting guru who knows the recruiting beat as as well as anybody, gave me a lot of info on what goes into that and what went into that. I've got a big chapter that I think focuses on the 93K day um, in 2016, the the spring game, that was a springboard to their great recruiting over the next few years. And and so that's the way I looked at it is – Let's say there's about 20 chapters. You've got about 20 long form stories that I hope are connected. Like at the end of every chapter, mm-hmm. there's a transition to here's what's coming next. And it's in basically chronological form, the whole book. Mm.
0: So we had, we had Bob Ryan on, legendary sports writer here a little bit ago. And his advice was, you always have to be working on a book, which obviously your book just came out. But yeah. uh, you, you always, you know, when, you're, when you're writing, you always need to have a book on the side, something something to keep you going. So is there, um, and not, no specifics, you know, obviously I don't want, uh, you know, it all to get out there, but is there, is there maybe a topic or an idea that you'd like to explore for maybe a book in the future?
1: Well, my wife and kids are ordering me to write children's books now because my, (laughs) my son is seven and he's, uh, he's a huge sports fan and a huge reader. So he's reading old Matt Christopher books mm-hmm. I don't know if that name rings a bell but I, I read them when I was a kid and and so they want I, I have my own children's book ideas but that's that's fiction I'm not sure that just because I wrote a non-fiction book that I can now just transition into fiction so I don't know I mean yeah I'm, I'm 44 I've been in sports journalism for 25 years now and I've had book ideas in my head before going back to my days in Albany Georgia when I wanted to write about the basketball scene there. Um, I, I, I thought I'd be interested in doing a story on the music scene in Athens and how little Athens, Georgia became this, you know, the landing point, shooting off point for the B-52s, REM, widespread panic. But someone already did that, and the book came out this year already. Um, so, but there's a lot out there. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to focus. what the next one is. It'll
0: probably land in my lap at some point. Mm-hmm. So let's transition here. Talk a little current Georgia football. Um, a, a lot of things are happening. It was recently announced that Jamie Newman would be opting out of the season. Right. Um, so that's kind of their, he, he was penciled in to be the starting quarterback. So now it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's looking like a little bit of a transition, but with that same breath, Todd Monken um, came over from the Browns um, to be the offensive coordinator for the Georgia Bulldogs. So, you know, you you got to feel like he's ready to to make this transition. Um, is it is it JT Daniels that's just going to be assumed as the starting quarterback next up? Probably,
1: probably. Um, I've I've learned around here to be ready to be surprised because we didn't know Jamie Newman was going to opt out um, and penciled in as the starting quarterback is the right way to put it. I I, I think he probably had about a seventy percent chance. Um, I think part of the reason he transferred. Was JT Daniels coming in, not because he thought he wasn't going to win the job to start at Arkansas on September 26th, but that with JT Daniels uh, over his shoulder all season, that there was a potential for Jamie Newman not staying the starting quarterback. So um, maybe JT Daniels grabs this job right away and runs with it. Maybe uh, the fact he's still coming off that ACL injury, it, you know, it, it lingers and he's. He's, as of right now, what last thing we'd heard from Kirby Smart over the weekend was that he's not medically cleared to play in games. He's medically cleared to play in practices and scrimmage where you were wearing a black jersey as the quarterback and you're not allowed to hit the quarterback. Um, so, I, I mean, I'd say there's still an outside chance that DeJuan Mathis gets the start. He's got a different skill set than J.D. Daniels. Um, for J.D. Dan- JD Daniels, it's, it's a matter of how quickly he catches up, um, what I've heard about him is that, is that he's a smart guy. He's got a lot more in common with Jake Fromm than people might realize. And that mm-hmm. he's that kind of quarterback and that kind of player and, and person that he's going to get by on, on his guts and guile more than just, he doesn't have this million dollar arm. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how, how that plays out between now and the opener.
0: Mm-hmm. And Todd Monken obviously is going to bring um, about a little bit of a transition I'd say for the Georgia offense, obviously, potentially opening up the ball to throw a lot more. Um, how do you think uh, the, the previous style of really being a, a ground and pound team will transition into Todd Monken's sort of uh, heavy passing game?
1: I think you'll see Georgia move more into the 21st century with offense. Um, I mean, they already were, you know, when, when Mike Bobo got here and then Jim Chaney continued it, They they were a lot more three wide receiver. I mean, They've been a shotgun offense. You've been, you know, running the wishbone here, but it was the actual play calling and the formations that set up that play calling that were, were still, they, they were predictable, for a lot of defenses last year, and I, I think you're going to see that predictability try and go away. Um, Todd Munkin's going to be more willing to call a pass. Um, now not having Jamie Newman as the starter is interesting because you no longer have a dual threat guy who's expected to be the starter, which is one of the reasons I say there's still an odds-out chance that Dwan Mathis gets the job because if they became very enamored with Jamie Newman's dual threat abilities as a, you know, if they had a bunch of plays in there that they thought were really good plays as in like the second or third option was for the quarterback to take off with the ball. Mm-hmm. JT Daniels isn't going to do that most likely, but Duan Mathis might. So, um, but yeah, I I think you're going to see the ball thrown around a lot more this year. I don't think it's going to be the air raid. That's not what Todd Munkin is. Um, It's, you know, maybe a little bit closer to Alabama of 2017, 18, 19, Um, maybe not quite LSU last year, Uh, but You know, wouldn't rule out. I mean, the most important thing is Kirby Smart wants to run the ball. And last I checked, Alabama and LSU, with as much as they threw the ball over the last few years, were still handing the ball off a lot and had some pretty good tailbacks. So I think Kirby Smart realizes that having a more of an air-out, open offense and running the ball well are not mutually exclusive.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one final question before we let you go here. Uh, So college football season – is planning to go full steam ahead. Obviously, there are a lot of questions. And I know, you know, you're not a medical expert, not a doctor. Um, but what is we your... We all became
1: per- one this year.
0: Yeah, exactly. Everybody everybody has some sort of medical expertise now. Uh, but what is your percentage chance, you know, if you had to put something on it, that we get through a full college football season?
1: Well, it's interesting that we're, we're, that you're presenting the question that way rather than what's the percentage chance that we get to the opener? Because... <laughs> There are a lot of people for a long time who thought that wouldn't happen. Um, but we're college football is taking place on our television. Um, the SEC is going to be the last to kick off, but the ACC kicks off next week. Big 12 kicks off next week. And the SEC is like full bore. I mean, Georgia's out there practicing. Uh, they're, they're, they're getting ready for September 26th. And so, I mean, I guess we're at like 90, 95% chance that the SEC starts. Mm-hmm. The percentage of chances of getting through the season, you know, I'd say better than 50-50. Uh, a lot of people thought Major League Baseball wouldn't start, and then when they started, said, "Well, they're not going to finish." But Cardinals outbreak happened. They didn't fold. They said, "We're going to move this around. We're going to do, you know, we're going to sit this team down. When they come back, we're going to make it up with double headers, and more easily do that." in baseball and in the pros so college football is going to run into its own set of problems but what seems to be the key is that when things happen like north carolina went online only but they Mm -hmm. said there's no question we're continuing on with with sports and the athletes are staying on campus that kind of gave a lot of cover and that was the signal that everyone else except obviously the big 10 and the Uh, Pac-12 and the Mac in the Mountain West, but the, the school, the conferences that we're playing, the schools that we're going to play, we're also going to follow that model with, and and I've never seen a problem with that, honestly. I mean, if athletes are taking classes online, but regular students are too, I mean, school is still in session. Mm -hmm. It's one thing if like school is closed, if there's no classes happening at all, yeah, that's, that's it, one thing. But if, if school is happening, it's just online for everybody, then I, I think these colleges have figured out that they can still
0: play sports. Yeah, no, it's, look, the reason why I said full season and not, you know, get to the opener, I'm, I'm being optimistic, you know, I'm trying to try and I've do I've been a... trying
1: to do that too. <laughs> people want that more.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it feels a lot better uh, to, to think that way. But Seth, we appreciate you so much. Thank you for coming on. Be sure to check out his new book, Attack the Day. Uh, really good. I'm excited to, to read it and uh, appreciate having, having you on and having this conversation. Thank you. Excellent. We now welcome on a very special guest, a recurring guest uh, and a friend of the program. It's John Remington. John, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. It's awesome. Yeah. We, you, you're one of the, one of the, the early guests um, coming up on two years of the podcast, which is crazy. Um, that
2: is crazy. Doesn't it go
0: fast? It's weird because, yeah, in the moment, uh, it, it goes it goes slow. You know, like you're just putting them out week by week, but then all of a sudden you look back and it's like, man, I'm I'm seven episodes from 100 episodes. You know, like that, that seems just crazy to me that there's so much of my voice out there in the world.
2: <laughs> Are you finding it a grind or is it still a labor of love for you? I mean, you're able to produce the content... Explore the explore the subjects and just sort of have it come rolling off your head, or is it a grind where you you, you got to sit down and just push yourself
0: through it? I think there were definitely a couple weeks during quarantine where I was where I was uh, there was just no sports going on. I was like, man, what am I gonna do? You know, and there were I'll be honest with you, there were some some like average episodes, you know, episode where I just sat down and it was just thirty minutes of me talking. I was like, you know what, I got to do it. I got to stay with it, um, but. Now that sports are back, like I, I genuinely feel like really excited. You know, and when I get those good guests on, like we we're talking about just before we started talking with Bob Ryan, like that gets me excited. Those kind of guys, those interviews. And, and when, you know, I get that energy back, it's just like, uh, I I mean, I feel, I feel like weird for saying this because I've only been in it for not even two years, but like I remember why I do it. You know, if that makes sense, I feel like that sounds really cheesy, but I feel like that's the best way to describe it.
2: Well, it is the best way to describe it because it should be a, an absolute passion of yours. Um, and as you said, it's now becoming, you know, it's something that you've been able to monetize mm-hmm. your passion that to be able to explore in-depth sports and, and those is, the issues around the games and so on and so forth. It's, such a, it's, it's a blessing, if you don't mind me saying. It, it really is.
0: No, I 100% agree with you. Um... I like not many people can say that, that they get paid to to uh, follow sports. You know, like this was something. If I wasn't podcasting, I'd still be spending hours, um, probably the majority of my time watching, analyzing, reading. Um, so the fact that I get money for doing it um, is is definitely something that not only motivates me but uh, keeps me excited for for the future and keeps me wanting to to soak in more because it's getting to the point where the more in depth I get. The more I realize, I have so much to learn uh, in the industry of podcasting, and also in in the sports industry. You know, there's so much information that's below the surface that you know. For so long, I was at the tip of the iceberg, but now I'm getting into it. And I'm like, wow, this is—it's a whole new world under here.
2: It really is. We're we're kind of spoiled in that we're listening to you and I have talked that we're big fans, obviously, of Bill Simmons mm-hmm. and, and among others. And. Bill's now probably, what, in his 20th year of broadcasting, writing, and then he started podcasting, I believe, about 2010, 2011. And I've, I've listened to some of his takes, and if he talks about the evolution of his ability to just converse and to be able to have a podcast where the content is more conversational, not so stilted and to be able to find itself. I mean, he wasn't able to find... His voice, or find the show in in the h the, the brief time he had that HBO show, and so it it's different formats, and it is an evolutionary process. And to be able to be in your position where you're finding the passion growing and developing, it is is got to be a wonderful place. And so I'm really proud to know you and be able to be part of that process.
0: Well, I appreciate that, uh, and and I value I value your opinion, and I really enjoy. Uh, the time that we get to talk, and and especially, um, you know, in general, but especially about sports, and especially that we have sports to talk about, um, which is very exciting. And and you know, we've been going back back and forth a little bit. You've been you've been talking to me about some of the things that you've seen, um, and we're gonna get into all that. But first off, I want to hit um, one of the one of the most unique things that has happened in in sports, um, and that was a boycott last week. Um, when we recorded the podcast, when I had the interview with Bob Ryan, we didn't know when it was going to come back, and then it was announced later that 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 sports had resumed. Um, but you were talking talking to me about that you were really in favor uh, of this move, and and I'm with you. I think it it means incredible things, not only for social justice, but also for player empowerment. I mean, we are no longer in the age where the owners are are controlling the players, but the players really understand. Look, we're the ones providing the entertainment, um, but I just want to give it, uh, hand it off to you here. What, what does this really mean um, for for social justice and empowerment of those players?
2: Well, I'm I'm hoping it means that they are using the platform and their their sheer awareness, um, just their visibility, rather, to make people f- stop and think, and, and to begin the conversation. I, I always and that that sounds like a bit of a cliche to begin the conversation about what social justice means what where we go next while that is a cliche i think it is true is at least taking time to boycott taking the time to passively peacefully take a knee whatever someone may think about that that's a different conversation but the fact that they're they're taking that moment it's just like you know john carlos back in, in 1968, raising the fist. People had all kinds of reactions to that, but that was, a, that was a peaceful way of opening the conversation to the changes that we as a society, as a country, and really as a world need to make. they you know, I'm white, I'm middle-aged, I'm a ruralite, I'm middle class, so I really don't know what it's like to be of color um, to be of a different gender or to be, you know, all of those issues. And it is time for people who, you know, in my position to really listen and to listen to the, the stories of what these, these athletes or, or people are experiencing, whether they be athletes. And it was, it, it was really interesting to me. Mo Harkless talked about during the boycott, uh, he, he had tweeted out a story about being stopped in Portland and because of his color. And then once they figured out that he was you know, a Portland trailblazer at the time, then he was let go. And he, he knew that he was privileged because of his position as a professional athlete. But yet he experienced that, the, he, experienced the, he experienced the injustice. And those are things that I personally know nothing about, and so when athletes are taking a knee or they're postponing games and they're taking positions, you know, back in the uh, few years ago, in the darling, the Donald Sterling uh, mm. thing happened, and the Clippers were going, you know, at midcourt and taking off their jerseys. These are times when we have to remember that these are um, we as audience members, we as Consumers of at these athletic events have to recognize that, that they are not just automatons or parts of a machine. They are human beings with stories, like Mo Heartless. That's just one example. And for when they take action like that, whether we agree, whether we whether we agree with you know BLM, that's that's another conversation. But it is a conversation, and I think that's the point. That we can say why are they doing that, and for us to open up our ears and listen. Yeah, That's the time and, and and I find it an exciting time to be alive because there is a big shift, and maybe it is a time for that for the shift to occur. People have been listening to you, you know, people who look like me and talk like me for far too long, and it's time for other voices to take over.
0: Yeah, and I like what you what you said there at the end, talking about um, how people are really too too much concerned with how they're protesting and not why they're doing it, and I think that that is the biggest roadblock at this point, uh, because you can send this strong message, and the NBA players are using their platform, uh, because you know whether or not you agree with it, they have a right to to say what they want, and if you tune in, it's my belief that if you tune in to watch basketball. Uh, you're tuning in to see these athletes perform, but the minute you say stick to sports or, or don't protest that way, you're basically saying we value you because of what you can do, not because of, but not your opinions or what you think. Because, uh, and, and that doesn't sit right with me because as a, as a person, a college student who's never played professional basketball, if I can sit here and make money off of them. Uh, off of my, me talking about them, what I think, analyzing them, but then all of a sudden, I draw the line, and I think that they're out of bounds uh, for talking about political issues or issues that face um, the people around them or the people in their community. I mean that that, that makes me a hypocrite, right? Like I, I have no bounds to be talking about these guys. Uh, if, if that's the case, you know, I, I'm out of I'm out of luck, but I think it it is very, it's a very powerful thing that they're doing. And also recognizing that, look, we you know they they chose to kneel for the anthem, they chose to put Black Lives Matter on the courts, but after the shooting of Jacob Blake, they're thinking, okay, we're doing all this, and we're not seeing real change. We're not seeing legislation pushed. How can we take this to the next level? And I think what they came out of it with with trying to turn all the arenas into voting stations, um, that that was the biggest change for me because that's the way to get something done in in our country with with democracy. Um, and the most powerful messages on any of the jerseys to me was vote, right? Because uh, you you can say all this stuff, but right now, if legislation doesn't change, you know nothing's gonna change. Uh, and and unfortunately, that's how it's it's set up to go. But I applaud the players for taking a stand and really making a a huge power grab because it's no longer the owners that are in charge anymore. The players are are controlling the narrative, which is which is very cool to see.
2: It is, and to see Adam Silver really as being the only commissioner of the major leagues, being knowing full well that these players are the stars, they are the breadwinners, and without them there is no league, and being able to give them that platform and to give them the space and the time and really the respect to be who they need to be. And we can talk, you know, about – diversity in ownership, we can talk about diversity in coaching. You know, currently the Steve Nash hiring has caused some feathers to to flutter. At the same time, at least those conversations are happening. And Adam Silver doesn't try to sweep it under the rug. And he puts his players full front and lets them do what they need to do to enact change. And I really appreciate you reminding me as well as your listeners how a lot of the NBA – are turning their arenas into voting stations and that um, I've heard Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, and, and many, many others urge the fans, whether they be the, the, the passive or the active fans, to get out and vote and to register. And, I, and they haven't said to vote for candidate X or candidate Y, but they've said to engage in the democratic process. And I find that a really encouraging and exciting thing to be a part of as a citizen, as a fellow citizen with these uh, gentlemen.
0: Yeah, it, it is very something, it's something that's very cool to see. And um, was actually, to, to give credit where credit's due, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the first team to make that push was the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, so, so the NFL kind of got the jump on them there. But uh, regardless, I think it's a, a fantastic spot, especially uh, during covid creating a, a safe space uh, f- where people can come and vote, uh, I think is something that's really cool. But uh, transitioning here a little bit, let's talk some basketball, um, full slate of games. Uh, everyth- no series is done yet. Everything is, is close um, and, and all together. So I'm going to start with one that, that pains me um, so we can just get it over with, get out of the way. Uh, we were ha- The Celtics, uh, for those of you who don't know we, when I say we, uh, we were half second away from going into this Monday feeling pretty good about a sweep uh, and, or, or, or at least winning in five, uh, depending on how that, that last game went on Saturday. But the tides turned off of, off of a Kyle Lowry pass to OG Ananobi. Um, game of inches. Jalen Brown almost blocked that shot. But we've seen, we saw just such a shift. You look at the first two games uh, and the Celtics were shooting, not amazing, but they were shooting the ball pretty well. And the Raptors couldn't hit a thing. And then you go into game three, tight back and forth game. Um, and then obviously that shot. But game four, Celtics were 7 of 35 from three and 5 of 22 uh, on wide open threes, including 2 of 11 from Jalen Brown. Um, I'm nervous. I'll say it. Uh, 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 give, me, give me some insight. Should I, Are my feelings validated? Uh, or, or what are you looking for going into this game five here?
2: I see in Game 5, I I see the Celtics being able to top the the Toronto Raptors, where I'm worried, so I think you're going to be okay. Um, I predicted the Celtics making it to the finals, uh, the Eastern Conference finals. Um, So they're doing what I thought they would do. The one thing where you need to be worried, and back during our our preseason predictions, I think you had mentioned it, in passing uh, that it was a, a key signing for the Philadelphia 76ers. And in that was the suggestion that the biggest loss for the Celtics was at that four or that five position, and that is Al Hor- Horford's absence is going to limit the ceiling for this season. Um, I do see Boston competing for a title in the, for the next three to four years, as long as they keep Brad Stevens, but they're going to have to figure out what who, who's going to really dominate that uh, f- that four or five position. Um, you, losing that leadership and that inside play of Al Horford has really cost them dearly. And when they go up against Miami in the finals, maybe to allude to our next conversation, uh, that's going to be a problem. Um Jalen Brown's consistency is another cause for concern. I would have, as well as Kemba's health. He he doesn't seem to be ticking on all four cylinders properly. Um, there's been some concern about his knee, um, and I as Kemba Kemba and Jalen Brown those I've been fine with um, Tatum. Tatum, you know, is, is the he's the motor. Marcus Smart's defense has been incredible so they're going to be okay um, um just like I said the lack of the five is really going to cause you it's going to cause you depression
0: yeah and, and and the thing is Daniel Tice has the movement uh to be a decent center but he's just lacking that size and and he was getting dominated by Joel Embiid um he I would...
2: absolutely has no sense of spacing and he has no sense of boxing out just the simple mechanics He's like a Hassan Whiteside uh, in Celtic uniform. Mm-hmm. He he is always out of position. Now he has a he, he is aggressive, but he he's trying to go for the athletic play as opposed to the basketball play. If that makes any
0: sense. Yeah, no, no, I agree a hundred percent. And and I think the issue, uh, and and I agree a hundred percent. Obviously, I guess technically with with my own words, um, in in missing Al Horford, um because you're missing not only a guy who can shift, a guy who can guard really the two through the five in terms of movement. I don't know how much was there uh, this past season, but um, yeah, uh, that leadership, the veteran, you know, calmness to the team. Um, I think they're definitely missing that. Not to say that they don't have experience because it was Jalen and Jason that led them to the Eastern Conference Finals uh, in Jason Tatum's rookie year. Um, But man, it's... It, it just feels like something's missing and I think it, you know, there's a really good chance that they can still find themselves, uh, to make it a finals appearance. But, um, yeah, there's no denying we're missing a big, um, Jalen Brown has has done a fantastic job of guarding Pascal Siakam in my opinion, um, and really giving him a lot of issues and taking him away. But, um, you know, obviously, fortunately, it looks like we won't be having to face Giannis if we do make it past the Raptors. Um, but that that would have given us some issues. But you look at all the West has; it's it's superstars galore. And do we have a guy, especially if it's somebody with size like say LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard? Do we have a guy that we can confidently put on uh, those superstars and and know that they're going to get shut down? But I will say to to kind of normalize myself and even out a little bit. Uh, this was the first game that we were really we really didn't have a chance to win with you know, with five seconds left or something. We won a couple close ones, um, Grant, you know, I'll, I'll give it that. And bottom line, this I think the Sixers scored 106 points once. But outside of that, nobody scored more than 105 points in these playoffs, which is, I know, seven uh, or eight games, small sample size. Uh, but regardless, that's that's some really great defense, uh, especially against two teams that are really good on offense in the Raptors and, and the Sixers. But uh, to tie it in here before we move on to the next one, who who do you have in this series? Let's predict next week's article. Uh, next week's headline uh, today. Who do you have winning this series, and why? I have the I have the
2: Celtics. Um, the Raptors. I think they. Although I should say, if Fred Van Fleet has been amazing, mm-hmm. and um, he could possibly shake it up for me, but I have the I have the Celtics moving on.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there too. Obviously, maybe a little bias on my part, but. Um, I'm going to be watching game five because it's going to be a big one. I think if the Celtics can shoot 35% from three, if they can stay average, they're going to win. But it's just a you matter, know, of, I, it's just a matter of staying it's,
2: there. It's, kind of, uh, it's become passe, but I do like how the Celtics have a, a mid-range game. And I know no one likes to talk about mid-range games, but I like their mid-range. And I think playoffs is where that mid-range is going gonna, is gonna to make you survive.
0: Yeah, and it just allows for more spacing, um, yeah. I think, to shoot in the mid-range shot. But, yeah, I've got the Celtics winning the series, too. Let's transition over to a series that was almost done tonight. I went to overtime. Giannis was gone. Uh, ankle injury. Uh, he's uncertain. It's up in the air for, for um, Game 5. But the Bucks live to fight another day. Many many people's title favorites, really, have been shut down. And, and I will say, uh, just to pat myself a little bit on the back here, before the series started... I, I said that the Heat were going to give them a lot of problems because the Bucks can't defend the three, and the Heat have probably seven guys that can hit the three decently, somewhat consistently. What have you seen from this series, um, and why why are the Miami Heat up 3-1 right now?
2: Well, one of the reasons is they play absolutely get-in-your-face defense, which surprised me. I had watched a lot of Miami this year uh, before the shutdown, so I I didn't know their play and then once I started watching the series I was amazed by their on ball. They really get up and hawk you. And that's not just not just Jimmy Butler. Tyler Hero has emerged as a fine two way player. In fact, it, he's there's a in English lit there's a term called aptonym. An aptonym is where somebody has a or a psychonym, where somebody has a name that matches their psychological being or their performance. And Tyler Hero is becoming that. Did you see that? You know, tonight, just in the last what, ten seconds, he hit two threes
0: Mm -hmm. to keep it close.
2: Heavily guarded, Um, and so I've been impressed with him. There are young guys. The Duncan, what's his last name, Robinson, um, has been great. The evolution of Bam is—he is just devastating. Um, Bam's going to become one of. one of the top big men, and as a Celtics fan, you would love to see somehow Bam land in land in, uh, Boston. That's not going to happen, but that would be a wonderful uh, gift for you. So I've been impressed by somehow Kelly Olenek. His stats have been not impressive, but he's able to, to provide some nice, some nice play for them. Um, and Goran Dragic what a I thought he was dead I thought he was a zombie <laughs> um, he's absolutely in the bubble has come back with a vengeance um, and is, has is he is hitting a peak that I did not think he still had in him um, and I think that that is what has just surprised Milwaukee uh, Brooke Lopez has absolutely disappeared. he looked pretty good tonight but he's he has disappeared I don't know if he suddenly is hit you know, old man wall, uh, old man legs or or whatnot. Um, I was impressed with Chris Middleton, and it was interesting. Middleton's going to have to step up. I hadn't seen a consistent play out of him, but they, what was nice, and it was the same thing that happened, even though in a losing cause, the Blazers in game five, even though they lost, they actually, I liked how they played without Willard. And uh, Simmons, Bill Simmons talks about the Ewing theory, where the the idea that the Knicks were actually better without Ewing. And in some ways, I wonder if that played out for the, the Blazers in Game 5, still a losing uh, effort. But I saw that tonight with the Bucks. Once Giannis went out, I liked their movement, their spacing a lot better. They weren't just expecting for uh, Giannis to become a hero uh, and to do those amazing Giannis things that, that is going to keep the league going strong for the next ten years. Um, and the to step up the Middleton was just like I said fascinating. Uh, and he became what was advertised. Still the Miami is just simply outplaying them. Their spacing, their movement, their defense is just harassing. They're their positioning on, on every uh their positioning on defensive rebounding, their their hustle and they are so well-coached. Eric Spolstra, yeah, I think, is one of the, oddly enough, one of the most underrated coaches in mm, the league. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he's won, you know, two championships, been to the finals four, but he, he knows his game management is brilliant. And so I think they're going to, they will be, I see Miami definitely playing Boston in the uh, Eastern finals.
0: Yeah, okay, So we, so we got your prediction for you, and I'm with you. I mean, it feels like, you know, uh, uh, to to take a phrase that you use regularly, uh, low hanging fruit to go with the heat, and also harp on Ansa Tuako. But I'll be honest with you. Bottom line, game in the clutch, and and correct me if I'm crazy for this, but I would much rather have the ball in the hands of Jimmy Butler than than Jana Ansu Uh paired with. So let me uh, add a caveat here, um, on the getting that defense too, because like you mentioned, he's a grinder, he's a hustler. And I think the reason why the Heat have built such a strong team is they've got they've got, got a roster full of grinders: Goran Dragic, Jay Crowder, Andre gudala Jimmy Butler, all cut from the same cloth. Um, and, and I think that's one of the biggest reasons why they're in this series. But um, I mean, are you concerned at all with Giannis's ability to to really close out a game? Because we've seen it pretty regularly in, in in these games. Obviously, he missed this last one, but in the in the first three.
2: I'm concerned about it too, and the other thing that has me concerned too in the back of my mind, the rumor mill has been going crazy about Giannis Mm -hmm. leaving Milwaukee in Mm -hmm. a year or two, and I'm wondering if that's playing in his head. If he's, I'm having flashbacks to LeBron in 2010, the year before you know the year of the decision, in his I think it was a series with Boston, Cleveland and Boston, where he appeared kind of checked out, and there's something about Giannis. I felt all through the the, the first series and this one, even though he's done some stellar things, that he isn't entirely present. Um, I don't know if you've gotten that sense or not, but there's a part of him that appears checked out to me.
0: Yeah, and and adding on to that, I mean, let's be honest. Bottom line, this team isn't going to get any better. I think this is, I mean, you could argue last year's team was more talented with Malcolm Brogdon, I mean, what he brought to them—just another scorer yeah. and, and, and great defender—but this team is a lot. They're they're a lot closer to uh, the decline than they are to the the uh, incline in terms of talent. Uh, so, if I'm Giannis and I can't make it past the Heat in this series, um, I mean, you you talk about the Sixers, uh, quote unquote, a process being being a a, a dynasty or, or whatever the case may be, whatever the process turned out to be. If the best thing is a second round exit, that's a failure. The Bucks haven't the, the Bucks haven't made too much of a dent either. Is that really going to be their highlight as well, you know, Giannis potentially going back to back with MVP and them not getting it done in the playoffs? I wouldn't be surprised if if Giannis leaves and I mean, I hate to say it, but I I don't think the Bucks surrounded him with enough talent to get it done. I love Chris Middleton, I think he's a big-time shot maker, but he's a, a fringe all-star at best, in my opinion, I think his, his role gets increased playing alongside Giannis. Um, but they're missing that that next guy. And, and with Brogdon gone, they lose a lot of their depth. I mean, if Giannis leaves this offseason, I'm not going to be surprised. And to be honest with you, uh, he may catch some flack for it. But don't be surprised if he joins the Heat in Miami and, and follows LeBron in his decision as well. Because I think they've got not only the cap space, but the system built around for him to succeed. And who better to toughen Giannis up and really get him to the next level than Jimmy Butler? You know,
2: and that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about it, John. Is Giannis really an alpha? I
0: I don't think I don't think he is. I I I do not think he's an alpha. I mean,
2: he's got the alpha talent, but I don't think he's the alpha mentality. Just like I don't think Anthony Davis, which we can talk later. I don't think Anthony Davis is the true alpha mentality. But Marcus Aldridge, for instance, thought he was but he had no business being an alpha. And I kind of have the sense that I never thought about it until you've articulated it uh, tonight, is that I, I have questions about Giannis being the, the one to, guys, get on my back. I'm going. We're going to do this. Um, he, he makes the noise that that's who he is. He has certainly the physical capabilities of it. But he doesn't have that – I don't think he has that extra gear where we've got this and you're going to buckle up. That combined with – they've, they've surrounded him with decent enough players, but they're not fits. They're not role players. They're not complementary parts. Um, so, yeah, like Mark, Malcolm Brogdon, as you said, was a great complementary part. And once he was gone, the whole thing fell apart. Yeah, I'm gonna think about that, Jonathan, for a while. Is Giannis the alpha? And boy, if you put Giannis next to Jimmy Bucket,
0: that's that's that a could good
2: a dangerous dangerous team.
0: Well, and and here's the thing: is everybody assumes that oh, if you're if you're one of the best players in the league, if you're the best player on your team, you're automatically an alpha. And that's not true because I can give you some great examples of guys who are not the best player on their team, but but really show up in the playoffs. The Morris twins, Marcus Morris, you could argue, and and we'll segue this into the Clippers Nuggets series, is probably playing right now like the second best Clipper, but the second best Clipper is Paul George, who's not an alpha. I mean, Kawhi Leonard just gets in and gets it done. He's a robot. He's he's an outlier, I think, in this conversation, Um, but if I had to put him somewhere, I'd put him as an alpha, but Marcus Morris has become one of the most effective scorers one of the best defenders and you, you know, dirty or not, whatever, what happened with Luca in the past series. But um, I mean, those grinders, when you can, when you, when they can score the ball, they become incredibly dangerous. Um, I think for example, another alpha, uh, and especially now that he can score the ball more is Marcus smart. Uh, he, he's another great example of that. And I just want to say, I mentioned it. I mentioned those grinders before that, that the heat had um, Jay Crowder, Marcus Morris, Marcus small smart, um, all at one time, we're on the Celtics. So Danny Ainge knew what he was doing when when he put together those those deep Eastern Conference playoff runs uh, in the in the mid to two thousand tens. Uh, but that's besides the point. Let's transition here over here. Clippers Nuggets. I mean, we saw two very very different games. Um, so And how- I? Can we
2: talk? I know you want to talk Clippers um, Nuggets next, but because you're talking about Grinders, I. It brings up an opportunity to I want to talk about PJ Tucker if I can right now. Absolutely. Let's do it. I'm in love with P J Tucker. <laughs> he is I mean, he had a double double tonight and a losing cause, but he is one of those penultimate grinders mm-hmm. that you talk about. Mm-hmm. The guy they said on the the announcer said the on the game that he you know, his passport's been stamped so many times. I just love how here he is, what, 6'5", at about 230, 240. And he just gets in and has a sense of nasty. He has that Jimmy Bucket sense of uh, the same thing as Damian Lillard. He has a big chip on his shoulder. And I, I just love those those grinders. So we can, we can talk about the series later, but I just wanted
0: to talk about my favorite grinder. Yeah, no, and, and that's a good one to put in. Um, I'll just add another one while we're thinking about it, too. Probably one that I'm gonna kick myself for not mentioning earlier, but uh, Draymond Green is the one of the best examples of that. They don't yeah. win. A t- they don't win that. They don't go on those title runs without him. Uh, no, 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 no,
2: they're not. They're not there. So that brings up now as we talk about the Clippers and the Nuggets, and I think it's going to be definitely the Clippers coming out of that because at the end of the day, I really see the Clippers having more grinders.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They have
2: the Morris twin, um, and of course they have Montrez Harrell, who is just a beast mm-hmm. i absolutely love montrez's attitude his intelligence combined with again with that chip and he has that that motor he's not going to get any accolades um for them winning
0: well, well well he did win Sixth man of the year sorry to interrupt but well,
2: he did get that but <laughs> still they're going to be talking it's still the paul george Kawhi leonard show mm-hmm. and it's it's he is the draymond green of that team um, if if you want if you want me to do a cop. I mean he's not as
0: he's not as gifted as Draymond. Yeah, but yeah, but, what uh, he, what he brings to the table? Similar. Well, yeah, and, and you can go down the list too. I mean, you look at uh, Pat Bev. Pat Bev's a grinder. Like the the yeah. identity that the Clippers have built is just a, a, a nasty bunch of, of ballers, in the in the nicest in the best way possible. I mean that is such a compliment. Um, but but we've seen two different sides of both teams really. Um yeah. in these first two games so what what's real what's fake what are what what can we expect to see going into game three
2: well we're gonna see I, we're, we're definitely I, the nasty is going to be come up and I, that's where I think with the exception of forgive me it's late and my mind is blanking who is uh, Paul millsap mm-hmm. with the exception of Paul millsap, I don't see as many grinders or or nasties. Um, Coming up for the Nuggets, I've been totally impressed with the offensive emergence of Michael Porter Jr. But he is not; he doesn't have that nasty in him yet. And the playoffs is when you are grinding. It is when you're going to gut check because your body hurts, you're tired, even in the bubble. Um, I just don't see the Nuggets having that that extra that extra sense of grind. I, like you said, I don't. What c- completely flummoxes me with the Nuggets is how they refuse to send Jokic down in the post.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. they,
2: they keep him up top because he's a great passer. He's an amazing pass, the best passing big man I've seen since um, Arvita Sabonis. And so, they, why he, they don't have him maybe start to initiate the offense up top, but send him down low, is he getting too tired? Does he lose his strength? Um, is, it, is, it a, is it a conditioning issue? Because if, if he would be willing to grind it and put a little bit of nasty, the, I don't see the Clippers, with the exception of Harrell, having anybody to, to stop him. And because of their inability to do that, I, I don't think they're going to be able to. Now, the series is going to be tough. I see it going six, maybe seven. Um, I, I do see this, the Nuggets coming back and making it a series. Uh, I've been impressed with Jamal Murray stepping up. Uh, Gary Harris back is certainly going to help them a great deal. And of course, Jokic is who he is, but the the Clippers have such a armada of subs and different role players who complement. You know, you've got Sweet Lou, um, and and what really can we say more? What what more is there to be said about the amazing Kawhi Leonard?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes,
2: uh, he has been. I can't wait to watch him play. Well, we can get to the uh, final prediction later, but. There's there's this big show showdown coming down. I think in the NBA Finals, and Kawhi is going to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, and and it's it's just so it's so interesting. Um, in, in building this team, I genuinely think the Nuggets are are a point guard away from being a serious threat in the West. Because to your point, um, they bring Jokic out because he is their best passer. Um, not only you know best passing big man in the league, but the best passer on the Nuggets right now. Um, Jamal Murray's not a point guard. Gary Harris, is is, neither of them are true ball handlers, distributors. Um, But you do lose that size in the paint um, because he can get down there and score. I mean, that game-winning bucket, Game 7, was a skyhook over one of the best defenders in the league and Rudy Gobert. So he can put it in with the best of them, but you just sacrifice so much. Um, But yeah, I'm with you. I think the Clippers just have so many weapons they can throw at uh, the Nuggets. It's going to be too much much to keep up with. But let's get to the final uh, series here. I was very, very impressed with the Lakers tonight. I thought they did a great job of scoring the ball and keeping pace with the Rockets. I thought the Rockets were going to run away with it in, that, in the middle of that third quarter when they just couldn't miss. But the Lakers were hitting, hitting back. And, and bottom line in this series, um, that corner three is going to be open all day for the Los Angeles Lakers. But the series will come down to whether or not they can hit that wide open shot. Tonight they did. They won the game. If they can't, well, the
2: other, the they, other thing that, that is true, and while that's true, it's also true that what's going to—what broke up that amazing run that the Rockets went on in the third quarter was when the Lakers heightened up their defense and forced turnovers and started running downhill. And they were getting buckets—they were hitting buckets right in the, right in the paint, layups, dunks, those types of things based upon forced turnovers. So if the Lakers can open that up, I, I oddly enough that it might be their bread and butter on those transitions. Um, if the Rockets set up and are able to run that half court offense, the Lakers are in trouble. And I think the Lakers actually have a little bit more trouble in their half court offense. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I saw.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it does seem like um, when when the Lakers can get even when they can get set up, like the Rockets just have too many scorers. Um, and, and like you've mentioned, they, they've got a team of grinders of their own. Um, I mean, it, it, it's an interesting series, but I think um, there are a couple of caveats. Like I said, that corner three and also what is James Harden going to do? I think if the Rockets are hitting threes and James Harden is scoring, there's little to nothing the Lakers can do to stop it. But I don't think the Rockets can do that for four games and win it. I think they did it tonight. They still couldn't win it. So that means you have to do it at least three more times. And you could make the case they were hitting their shots in Game One and Game Two. Statistically, I don't really like their odds uh, to to stay hot for three more games. What What do you think about that?
2: I think that that is. I think that's a decent that's a decent point. I think the other key the key part here is if Rajon Rondo can be somewhat playoff Rondo mm. ready tonight. He was on, and I felt actually in the first game he had some great moments. But tonight he was hitting his shots. He hit. The, he caused that that really controversial, they had, they had to review the offensive foul on Westbrook, even though he missed his free throw. Rasheed Wallace would say the ball don't lie. <laughs> but um, having Rondo take the ball out of LeBron and out of LeBron's hands at the half court and have LeBron kind of run off of it a little bit, I really liked that look. And that did open up, like you said, that corner three. Um, that helped Rondo really helps the spacing a little bit. Um, And he's a grinder, and he is, uh, you know, a lot of people don't like him. So I think that that's going to help the Lakers. Um, Again, I'd like to see the Lakers really feed, I don't know why they're not feeding Anthony Davis more in his, um, those elbow, those free throw elbow jumpers. Nobody can stop him, whether he's posting up Mm -hmm. or catching it and, and shooting from that. He's got, that is his, that is money. He's almost he's, he reminds me of Tim Duncan. That was Duncan's favorite shot too. Um, and if they just feed him that, then that's going to open up the spacing for other, I think other options. I see the, I see the Lakers in doing it in six.
0: Okay, I, I like that and I, I think I'll agree um, based on what you've said and, and kind of what I've seen. Uh, John, it is always a pleasure to get you on and talk. Uh, I mean, I, I said 20, 25 minutes, and here we are at 40, but it's just flown by. It, it's been such a good conversation. It's
2: been a great conversation, Jonathan, as it always is.
0: So, mm, so Thank be-
2: you, and I wish you best of luck, and, and keep doing what you're doing.
0: Appreciate it. Hey, but look, before we let you go, though, we need to know that finals prediction uh, and the ultimate winner uh, because, we, I mean, we, we can't leave them hanging. We, we, the people want to know. Okay,
2: I'm going to go Clippers in Miami in the finals, and it's going to be Clippers in six. I want to see Kawhi and Jimmy Bucket go at it. That's going to be a that is worth the uh, that's worth the price of admission right there. I agree. What that would
0: w- that would that would be something to watch for sure. Uh, well, hopefully hopefully we can get you on here in the future and and we can get an update on those on those playoff predictions. Uh, but
2: it's, and it, isn't it great to have basketball in August? Who would have sunk it? Who oh,
0: would have <laughs> so so great? And it's going clear into October. Uh, fantastic. But uh, we appreciate you taking the time, and we'll talk to you soon.
2: Take care. Bye-bye.